It's great to see one another. It's great to belong. And as you know, we've been doing this series on Set Apart, and we've been looking at what makes us different, what are the things that set us apart within the world, in our communities, where we live, where we work together. It's wonderful to know that we are set apart for a purpose. And there we have our verse that we've been using as our key verse, our, our verse of uh, encouragement, inspiration in this area. And uh, it says, you have been set apart. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God. And he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a treasure. Amen. Turn to the person on the other side and say, I am a treasure. Woo. Amen. You're all precious. You're all wonderful. Amen. And I'll... You know, put my hand up for you and say, you are special. You are wonderful. Amen. Because we are chosen by God, we have been set apart to be different, to show the ways and the plans of God. And God has designed us to have the designer labels of the master. Amen. We have the labels we have the designer labels that show to the world around us that we are different. And there are a number of things. We've been looking at them over the last few weeks. The things that set us apart. When you see a label on someone, it very often designates who they are. Uh, I've got a badge that I wear when I go to specific meetings, when I'm uh, on behalf of the police, and it says who I am, it says what my job is, and it says, in a sense, sets me apart to know that people can see me and they can chat with me knowing who I am. Well, there's labels that every one of us actually possess, or we should possess as Christians, that when people see us, they see that there's particular things about us that set us apart as Christians. And as you know, we've been looking at the Beatitudes. These are the things that Jesus spoke about a Christian, a follower of himself, what they should have in their lives. And he speaks about them as blessings. Hallelujah. We are blessed. Because God has given us some wonderful things that we give him glory for this morning. And so Jesus had what we often speak as uh, the time when he spoke about the Beatitudes. And in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12, there we have them listed, the areas, the blessings that those that follow him have. Let me read them for you. Here we go then. Matthew chapter 5 Verses 1 to 12, it's on the screen, or you can follow it in your own Bibles. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, 
And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this morning we're going to look at this next one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this morning, it's verse 7 we're going to be looking at. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. Now, there's a lot of passages in the Bible, a lot of stories in the Bible that speak of mercy, that show mercy. Can anyone think of a passage that really shows the mercy of God and also shows mercy that is given to someone that doesn't seem to deserve it? Can anybody think of a story in the Bible where someone is shown mercy when, in one sense, they don't really deserve it. The adulterous woman is one, yes. The lady who had, was an adulterer, Jesus forgave her, washed away her sins. Any other uh, stories in the Bible? It could be... Sorry? Barabbas, in one sense, yeah, in one sense, yeah. Jesus, of course, opened his heart to those, even on the cross, because they didn't deserve it, and yet... The one of them actually said, Jesus said to him, uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. Wow. And he was there, a criminal, on the cross next to Jesus. Any other stories? Sorry? Paul the Apostle is a great experience, yeah, a great uh, example of someone. So he was initially Saul the Tarsus. We'll get, get to that one. Saul the Tarsus, he was born again. He got saved. He was a, a, evil. He, he actually killed Christians. He put them in prison, etc., etc. And yet God saved him. Sorry, Cynthia, what was you got? David and Moses. Yeah, David, Moses. A lot of stories in the Bible point to the mercy of God. Did somebody else shout one out then? Jonah, yes, exactly. Jonah, he ran away from God. Even though God told him to do something, he ran away from God, got swallowed by a big fish. And then God mercifully, you know, the fish vomited him out and he was used and God gave him a second chance. The mercy of God. Well, I'll tell you, this morning I'm going to point to a story which I believe is probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. It was a parable that Jesus gave that pointed to the mercy of God. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of us, if not all of us, 
have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And we're going to read that passage now and look at this little story, the parable that Jesus gave. It says there in Luke 10, 25 to 37, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. This is Jesus. He stood up and tested Jesus as he was speaking. He said to him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves, said Jesus? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do like wise. You know, in this passage, in this little story, mercy has four dimensions. There are four dimensions in this story with regards to mercy. And in this old blessing of uh, those that, you know, show mercy, amen, will receive mercy, I want to look at four aspects of this little story, four dimensions that's going to help you and me to be merciful. First of all, number one, the first dimension is it sees distress. It sees distress. In verse 33, it says, A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. You know, we need to have an eye for distress. We need to see people and their needs. Now, the Samaritan saw this man. His eyes were so, uh, you know, uh, attuned that he saw the man in need. And very often, we in the world that we live in, although we've got two eyes... Although very often there's so much to see, very often we don't see the distress of people around us. 
where we work, take for instance, most, uh, a number of us work, have a daily job that we do, or we live in a neighborhood where we're surrounded by people, but we can go through life ignoring or taking for granted or being oblivious of the needs around us. But this morning, one of the dimensions of mercy is that we see a need, amen, and we see it very clearly. This Samaritan saw the need. We need to open our eyes. We need to see the situations of people. There could be people in the office where you're working that are going through the most dire of needs. There could be a neighbor living on your street, next door, or down the road, that actually is going through a huge problem in their life. They could have cancer. They could have financial issues. They could have lost their job. They could have lost their husband through death, or their wife through death. And sometimes as Christians, yes, we say, God bless you, or how are you? And then people say to you, well, I've got, and before they've got a chance to tell you their need, whoosh, we're off. We can do that in church sometimes, don't we? You know, we shake hands with people. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. When really deep down inside, there's all sorts of stuff they're going through. We need to see the distress. We need to see what people are going through. Amen? Yes, we need to have an eye for distress. That's number one. Number two, it responds. The second dimension is that it responds internally with a heart of compassion towards a person in distress. In verse 33 about the Samaritan, it says, When he saw him, he had compassion on him. In other words, we need to have a heart of compassion. The two of the people that walked by, the priest and the Levite, was quite interesting that they saw the need, but they didn't do anything about it. First of all, of course, the priest, the priest who was the high, in one sense, in the Jewish faith, he was the one who was the real religious. He should have been the example in all things. And as soon as he saw, it says he walked by. The Levite, who in one sense is the second level down in the faith, the Levite, who was supposed to be, you know, the most upright and religious among the Jews underneath the priest, he must have been walking down the road. And, and I sometimes think to myself, I guess he must have seen what the priest did. How often we can actually do things, people watch us do them, and they follow suit. And sometimes it's not always the right thing. I trust that when you see me and Pastor Angela, or you see any of our leaders, or those that you love and you look up to, doing things, that we are doing things that you can actually respond to and follow our example. But the Levite not only saw what the priest did, but it says he walked by on the other side. He followed the example, sadly, of the priest that should have been showing him a good example. They both saw, 
but they did nothing about it. The Samaritan was different. It says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. It's one thing to see a need, and then it's the next thing to have compassion. To actually see a need of the person in the office where you work, in the factory where you work, on the street where you work, to see the need, but then to actually have compassion. I've been fascinated quite recently, really. I, you know, it's something that's happened a while, but it's quite recently with me personally. I can only speak for myself. But the number of times I've watched the news on TV and I've seen the situations that people are going through, not just in the UK, of course, we see the floods and we see the pain and the anguish of people that have lost their children or have lost their families, but sometimes, even across the other sides of the world, I've been watching the news and I've seen people crying out because their children have been killed in a war or their children are starving to death because, you know, they've been somehow surrounded by war, surrounded by enemies, or surrounded by issues, and suddenly, as I'm watching it, tears are actually coming down my eyes. I see it. And sometimes, you know, we can even watch the news on the TV, and we can take it for granted. It's the story of the day. And the next day, of course, as the newscasters, they'll report something completely different. And what happened to the people the following, the day before, that were dying in wherever, Syria, you name it? It's just another news item. We see it, but we don't actually see it. But then do we have compassion? Have we got hearts that actually inspire us to cry? And to have compassion for the needs around us. The merciful see it, but also they have compassion for the people that's going through it. Thirdly, it responds externally with a practical effort to relieve the distress. In verse 33 of that passage about the Good Samaritan story, it says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the verses go on to say that the next day, the Samaritan actually went to the innkeeper. He hadn't forgotten about this guy that was in the room in the hotel that he'd put him in. But he said, and by the way, here's two denarii, or here's money. Whatever it costs him extra, I want to pay for it. Wow. I put down there on the screen, we need to have an effort to help. It's one thing to have mercy by seeing a need. It's another thing to have mercy by actually having within us compassion for that need, but thirdly, do we actually make an effort to help that situation, that person in need? Now, that can be spiritually as much as practically. We see the spiritual need around us. We recognize that people are going to a lost eternity. We see it. 
We see people every day. Sometimes I sit on the bench in central Birmingham when I'm down there at the headquarters of the police working or whatever, or sometimes when I'm out and about uh, visiting different people and chaplains and what have you around the West Midlands area. And sometimes in a crowded area, whether it's outside the train station or in the center of Birmingham, uh, I may have a sandwich or I may have a coffee, but I just sit down on a bench and I watch people milling by. And I tell you, it's interesting watching them, you know, to see how they walk. You know, some walk in as though they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. You know, they've got everything against them. And you could tell by their faces, oh, you know, they're going through an issue. Or, oh, I'm going to work again, some of them, you know, in the morning when they're off to work or wherever they're going. And I just sometimes sit there and watch people. And people can just mill by. But I think to myself, all those people, they need God. They need Jesus. Some of them may be Christians. Some of them may love the Lord. Some of them may have been at church on Sunday. Some of them, you know, may be very similar to me in many ways. But there are so many people that if we're not careful, we see them, but we don't do anything about it. We don't pray. We don't help in ways that we can help. We need that dimension of mercy, that when we see a need, we have an effort to help. That's why we're here. Praise God for prayer. Praise God for our services. But you know, if we don't put feet, if we don't put legs on our prayers, Jesus will point the finger back and say, well, what did you do? What did you do? We need to show Mercy. And fourthly, which is interesting, it acts even when the person in distress is an enemy. Mm, interesting. If someone who doesn't talk the same as us, doesn't look the same as us, doesn't have the same opinions as us, or someone that has said something against us, or someone's not being very kind to us at work, and maybe put their foot in the way of you having a promotion. How easy it would be to say, oh, I'll get him back. I'll get her back. You wait until you're in my situation. I'll tell you, I'll get my back on you. But even in the sense of an enemy, do we still have compassion? Do we still show mercy? It says in there, uh, verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, those three words might not mean much to you at all. But a Samaritan, when in a Jewish setting, when someone mentions the word Samaritan, it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. I put there the listeners that were listening to Jesus share this story about the Samaritan. The listeners would not only expected a Samaritan to be unsympathetic to the plight of the victim, they would have expected the Samaritan to be the perpetrator as well. It was said and it was reported in those days that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho there were thieves and robbers, and the Jews said it was the Samaritans that were actually on that road, and it was Samaritan people 
that were the perpetrators of crime, of people being robbed, of people being brutally hurt. And so can you imagine this Jewish crowd listening to Jesus speaking about a Samaritan of all people to actually be you. So who are the Samaritans? Let's just spend a minute or two talking about the Samaritans. I've written it down for you. Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they were known as half-breeds. Half-Jewish and half-Gentile. So in other words, they weren't pure blood. The Jews were very, very particular about Jews being fully Jews. But the Samaritans, they weren't fully Jews. I guess they would say that they were just, you know, acting like Jews. Because really, they were Gentiles, really. And you know what the Jews called the Gentiles. Dogs, pigs, you name it. They call them the most horrific of names. And so can you imagine someone that is actually on the fence, being partly Jewish and being partly Gentile? You can imagine how the Jews reacted to the Samaritans. I put there half Jewish and half Gentile. When the northern kingdoms were taken captive by the Assyrians in history, they intermarried with them to settle in the place that is called Samaria, the Samaritans, that was just north of Judea. They settled in the Assyrian area. As usually happens in such cases, they adopted the worship of their false pagan gods, falling into idolatry. So these Samaritan groups were initially Jews, but now they were pagans. They were following the gods, the idols, as it were, of that nation of Assyria. And they were calling themselves Samaritans, but they were living two-way life. When the Jews returned to Jerusalem and tried to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans would pour pig's blood in the temple area, which was to make the temple unclean, and the building project of the temple had to be stopped so that the temple area could be cleaned up again. The Samaritans, these off-breeds as they were sort of known as, they would get blood of pigs, and while the Jews were trying to build their temple, their own temple, the Samaritans thought, no, we're not going to allow them. They got blood of pigs and poured it into the temple area, and of course the Jews would have nothing to do with pigs. That's why the prodigal son story, you know the prodigal son story, that is why it's such an unbelievable story that the actual son that left his father, took his money, his inheritance, and he actually ended up with the pigs, eating the food that the pigs were eating. So you can imagine what, how low they had become, he'd become. Well, it's the same thing here. The Samaritans were pouring blood in the area where the Jews we're trying to build the temple. Wow. So you can now imagine why the Jews were, as soon as Jesus talked about this Samaritan being a good person, being a merciful person. Wow. What are you saying, Jesus? And then it goes on to say, let me just pass back. This was detestable to the Jews. 
and it polluted what they considered to be a holy place. The Samaritans pouring blood in the area where the temple was being built. Therefore, the Samaritans were hated. In fact, they were hated even more than the Roman conquerors. The Jews hated the Romans, but they hated even more the Samaritans. They hated them, hated them. They would not even walk in Samaria, but would go far out of their way, even if it was a longer trip, to avoid entering Samaria because they believed the Samaritans were unclean people. So in other words, when they traveled, the Jews, they didn't even go through Samaria because they thought it was an unclean place because the Samaritans lived there. So no matter how many more extra miles they had to travel to do their detour around Samaria, they would do it to get out of the Samaritans' way. Wow. So this is precisely why Jesus mentioned the Samaritan in this parable. Because he would be the least likely to ever help a, follow, a fellow Jew and to show mercy. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. But Jesus said, a Samaritan passed by, saw him, had compassion on him, and did something for him. Wow. Even our enemies, even those that despise you, even those that have called you names, even those that have stopped you getting promotion or maybe have said things about you to other people that are untrue or shouldn't have been said. Jesus said, be merciful, be loving, see them, be compassionate towards them and do something for them. Wow, what mercy. This is the mercy Jesus is talking about for you and me. To see it, to have compassion on the people, to do something for the people, and to make a difference. We are here to be merciful because we have received mercy. Two things in conclusion. Two things to drop into your hearts to apply what I'm saying to you this morning. First of all, we have received God's mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. We have received God's mercy. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve an iota of God's blessing. But I'll tell you something. This morning, we are sitting here. We are standing when we worship and when we praise Him because God's had mercy on us. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 11, verse 30, it says, You who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy. We were disobedient. We were far away from God. No matter how good you were, no matter how religious you were, even before you came to this church, no matter how good you were, I tell you, we were disobedient. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. In other words, every one of us here fall short of God's standards. We were out God, but he showed mercy. Because of his mercy, we are born again. We are saved. 
this morning. Paul himself saw his salvation as an act of God's mercy when he wrote in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. When he spoke about his salvation, he said, I didn't deserve anything. I was ignorant of God. I was an unbeliever. And yet God had mercy on me. Our salvation is also called an act of God's mercy. In Titus 3 verse 5 it says, He saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. Not just Paul in the New Testament spoke about it, but Peter. Peter expressed it in these words. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3 it says, In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. His great mercy has given us new birth. We are born again. We are saved. Whatever you want to call it, God has changed us by His mercy. And secondly and finally, we should follow God's Example. I've just shown you a number of verses there of the mercy of God that's been shown to you and to me by saving us, by His grace. We should follow God's example. We are blessed if we are merciful because mercy is something God Himself displays. God's mercy is the withholding of a just punishment. In other words, we should be punished. Every one of us should be going to hell. Did you know that? We don't deserve heaven. Every one of us should be going to hell. God's mercy, he, he actually displayed his mercy with withholding of a just punishment. It is his compassion on us who are miserable without God. Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 says, The Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you. Our fortunes have changed. We are saved, washed, cleansed, born again by the mercy of God. And if that is the case, how much more should we show mercy to those around us? The psalmist writes, praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Psalm 28, verse 6. And finally, Jesus himself often showed mercy as we see in his healing of the man freed from demons. In Mark 5, 19, Jesus said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The challenge this morning, as I round up and tie up what I'm saying about the merciful receiving mercy, we have received mercy. God has poured his love upon us. But what did Jesus say to that man? Go home to your people Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. The challenge from me to you and from also from God to me as well is to go and tell them how much the Lord has done for us. 
You need to go out. We need to go out. Tell the people around us, on our neighbors, our streets, in our workplaces, wherever we go. Tell them how much God has done for you. Tell them how the Lord has changed your life. Tell them how you are now free from sin. Yes, you're still a sinner, but God's washed us, cleansed us, renewed us, given us a hope of eternity. Jesus said, go and tell them. Go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. We're a people this morning showered with mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Hallelujah. What a God. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Close your eyes. Can I challenge you this morning as we come to a close? As I round up my message with a prayer. God has had mercy upon us. But you know, it's not just keeping the mercy to ourselves. But it's being good Samaritans, showing mercy to those around us that need God, that need love. Let's see the people around us. They need the mercy of God. They need the love of God. Let's bless them. Let's pour in the oil and the wine. Let's share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let us see people. Let us see people receiving God's mercy wherever we go. Lord, we thank you this morning for that wonderful, wonderful blessing that you have given to us. That, Lord, when we are merciful, when we show your mercy that you have poured upon us to other people, we too, we too, not only will we be blessed, but we will continue in the mercy of God. And this morning, personally, I say thank you. And I'm sure every one of us here say thank you for your mercy that you have showered upon us. Help us to live it out, to show mercy to others by sharing the gospel, the love of God, wherever we go, that people's lives will be changed. And they too will know the joy of sins forgiven as we have done this morning. Thank you for your word. Bless it to us. May we not just be hearers, but may we be doers also. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good.